Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. So we now have dates for rugby's return, but there's still a lot of questions around Operation Restart. What impact will midweek matches have on player welfare? Will confusion over contracts affect squad morale? What happens if a player tests positive for COVID-19? Well, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and although I've achieved a lot in rugby, I cannot give you the answers to any of those questions, but fortunately... Joining me are the three amigos who definitely can, and if they can't, no one will. Owen Slots, Stephen Jones, and Alex Lowe. Good morning, gentlemen, to you all. Morning, morning. Alex. Alex has got the answers. Let's just do it with him today. Alex, tell us everything. Go ahead, Al. We'll, go ahead, we'll go Well, I thought I, I, can't, I can't not start with you, Jonesy. I mean, you're sounding very pleased with yourself. You're looking a little bit smug. Has that got anything to do with the London derby over the weekend? We didn't invite Stuart Barnes on the show. I'm not sure that he'd have come on anyway, but uh, Tottenham have a win and a win over Arsenal. Well done. Well, that was excellent. Win, lose or draw in that match. I don't care either way. As long as we've won, I shut them up for another 12 months. So thank you for mentioning that, Lawrence. <laughs> come on, you Spurs. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, and Man City have now... Dis- have now uh, been been allowed back into the Champions League, so uh, if you throw enough money at something, generally... yeah, you, you have enough expensive judges on your side, you'll always get anything overturned. Generally, it works well. We've got some rugby to talk about, and we're just under what just over a month away, or just under a month away from the first game, Friday the fourteenth of August. Mark your diary: Harlequins against Sale. They then will play an unprecedented uh, three games in twelve days. So, Alex, if I start with you, I mean, obviously. There is midweek matches. There's three rounds of midweek matches. Phil Winstanley, the Premier Rugby Director, was at great pains to say that they explored every possible avenue in terms of player welfare. He also explained they've been in consultation with uh, Damien Hopley at the RPA, of course, uh, the Players Association, and Conor O'Shea at the RFU. Are you comfortable with the with the with the schedule that's been laid out, or are there some some serious risks in uh, in what Premier Rugby are trying to undertake here? So they didn't explore every avenue that they could have explored because they they disregarded the idea of cancelling the season immediately. They didn't even consider the notion of of just of doing what the French clubs have done, which is just cancel a, a season that was already scarred by the Saracens affair. They could have launched a new season on the same date in August, avoided all the test matches finished in plenty of time for the Lions tour and the players wouldn't have been forced to play every four days. Then they'd have run out of money, wouldn't they? Why would they have run out of money? Well, because they need the money for the TV. But according to Darren Childs, BT have been the most uh, hospitable broadcast partner any organisation could possibly have wanted. 
Listen, um, I am the first person to declare his love for Darren Childs here. But the <laughs> amount of things that Darren has said that don't actually happen, uh, I, 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 it's a very growing list. Well, I, I actually made I actually made a list of it uh, <laughs> l- last night. It was a bit, a bit sort of a... If, if, that, if that press conference that he gave on Friday, the first one he's ever given as chief executive of Premiership Rugby, had been conducted at, at the White House, then the Associated Press would have done a fact check on it and there would have been more than one red flag. <laughs> uh, I can I could tell you that. I mean, as an example, he said, it was absolutely critical for us to deliver sporting integrity, which means there will be a very small number of midweek matches. Well, they're going to be a, a third of the nine remaining rounds are going to be played midweek. And in a season where the sporting integrity has already been thrown out the window by, by Saracen's uh, enforced relegation, I don't think they did explore every possible avenue. I think there are huge risks to the players. I mean, Lawrence, you'd know better than me, but playing, playing every four days, even if you rotate a squad, there's a high risk of, of injury. There's next to no chance of recovery. The problem is, Alex, is, is that they talk about the integrity of the competition. But um, if you're not going to be penalised for fielding sides that are, wouldn't necessarily be classed as your first choice team, then that already questions the, 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 the integrity of the competition to a, to a certain degree. And player welfare is, is a much used term, which obviously is... Uh, is very important, as we know. Uh, we've, we've talked on this pod many times before about wanting quality rugby matches over over quantity. Now, clearly, we're going we're gonna to run into a situation where we've got the remainder of these premiership fixtures to be played. There's obviously the conclusion of the European Cup finals, which will be, uh, you know, involve, hopefully, a couple of the English premiership sides. There's going to be six internationals played in the autumn, if you're an England player. And then you've got maybe the small matter of... Uh, of the following season starting um, probably in a week a week after that. So, uh, Jonesy, Darren Charles also said many other leagues have not taken that choice. They've cancelled rounds, but we think we've found a, a way of doing it safely. I mean, first of all, do you think it's it makes sense? And secondly, you know, can you see some uh, some serious comeback on this? Well, to be fair to Mr Charles, he's a brilliant orator. I've got a quote from him uh, from last week in which he said uh, we are having ongoing conversations that have been ongoing now that is the that is about the standard of the debate uh, i'll just i'll answer your question this way lawrence the integrity of competition that came up about 62 times when he, charles was speaking we mentioned he mentioned integrity of competition then someone else who came on said integrity of competition we've all been to enough press conferences to know when we've been fitted up by someone in before the press conference saying, for God's sake, say integrity of competition. No question about that. There is no integrity in this. There is no player welfare. It is a real, horrible, <laughs> packed, overpacked end to a season which didn't have to end like this. Again, it's all on the players. Player welfare, we should be banned from those two words in, in either uh, order. Player welfare doesn't exist anymore. No one cares about it. And as for integrity of the competition, it makes me puke. I mean, one thing that struck me was was around um, this midweek fixtures, because as Alex has said, you know, I've, I've been subject on the occasional situation where we've had to play midweek fixtures. And, and as a player going towards the end of his career, you quite like fixtures because it means you don't have to do much training. But it does feel like <laughs> it does feel like Premiership rugby have sort of caved in a little bit on on double standards, really, because. Midweek fixtures, they've been arguing for, for, for months and months and, and season after season that they can't accommodate midweek fixtures, particularly when, it, when Warren Gatland asked them for the British and Irish Lions to give them a, an extra couple of weeks off before the Premiership final. And they said no. 
But clearly now, when it suits Premiership Rugby to organise midweek fixtures, they're all happy to, uh, to come under a unanimous agreement, as Darren Charles put it. Yeah, OK. So, uh, as we've already established on this podcast, it, it's phenomenally easy to criticise what's happened because there's, there's no right solution to this. And w- while we're talking about, oh, they've squeezed, they've squeezed all these fixtures in, uh, they don't care about the players. But the fact is, they needed the income uh, to keep going as clubs. Because on the one hand, we're having this, this argument about uh, player welfare. On the other, we're having Manu leaving Leicester because they can't pay. And we're having all, all these rows about payers not being paid enough or, or arguing with their remuneration reductions. But if, they, if we didn't have these games, then that would be even worse. So it's all about compromise all the way through. So I think you can criticise, you can run a coach the horses through this because it, it's, it's there for criticism. But I don't know what, is a, what it is, is a better option. But the one thing I would say about this is it, it is so, so clearly a, a threat to, to player welfare that surely our administrators aren't so stupid enough as to let players genuinely play seven games in 28 days. I mean, well, that, that, that's just not going to happen. Your point, Lawrence, is correct. We're going to end up seeing matches played with second teams and lots of academy players, and, and that is going to be the, the obvious outcome of it. But if we suddenly think that Joe Launchbury says is going to be playing Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday, Tuesday, or whatever, uh, and then going straight into the internationals and then going all the way through to the end of the season, this is a test for rugby. But can we? do we really think that our administrators are going to allow players to go through that and, and come out the other end beaten up and dead. I mean, I just, I, I don't have a lot of faith in them, but I just cannot believe we can be that stupid. I agree with you. And Phil Winstanley, I think, I mean, I wasn't at the press conference, but I'm sure the three of you were. And, and Phil Winstanley was at pains to suggest that, that, you know, there's been a lot of consultation with the directors of rugby, with Damien Hopley, and I'll be flabbergasted if they haven't already come up with an agreed number of minutes uh, stroke number of maximum games slash player loading in training sort of protocols so that the player welfare subject is very much at the heart of the matter. There's no way that players will want to play that many games. But on the positive side of it, and you know we can be positive on this podcast when we want to be, there will be a, a number of opportunities for, uh, for, for the uh, younger slash academy players who wouldn't have even got a look in at this stage of the season. So... Uh, you know, maybe maybe there will be something good to come out of it. Lawrence, I hope you're right. I'm completely the other way. I bet you that after a couple of injuries, people will be dragged out twice a week. I mean, the other, Alex, yeah, I don't know whether this was mentioned in the first real kind of press conference communication that, that rugby fans, media have had in the, in since COVID, really. I mean, uh, you know, that's, that's what I find quite quite worrying They've, this has been the first time so no wonder there's all these questions but we've seen if put the football season restart and um, you know it's getting quite interesting at both ends of the premiership table they must have a protocol that sets out what happens if a player tests positive for covid you know he's removed from training etc etc my concern and i'm sure everyone's concern on rugby is given the nature of of the close contact in training you know what's the protocol going to be if uh, if a player tests positive, and and will we see some of these midweek games cancelled as a result of that? Very possibly, and not just the midweek games. The protocol is that if if a player tests positive, he has to go into isolation for up to a fortnight. Players who have been in close contact with him also have to go into isolation for up to a fortnight, and that therefore means, and with no uh, wriggle room in the in the schedule. It will not take much for matches to have to be cancelled. Then comes in that sporting integrity question. I'm sure squads will be rotated, but if you if you lose a front row because they're on isolation, and then you lose a hooker because he's injured, 
you, know, you can't play the game. I also have issues with the fact that this, you know, the, the sports come back or coming back. Why do we play? Why do we have the Premiership? Not every game can be broadcast on television. There's no facility as, as we stand for games to be, to be streamed. So we're going to have Premiership matches being played in front of zero spectators, either on television, laptops or in the stadium. That raises a flag for me. As, you know, why exactly are we, are we squeezing games in, forcing players to play four times a week, knowing that there are risks of, of matches being postponed or, or you know, not postponed, cancelled anyway? You know, I don't, there doesn't, doesn't feel a huge amount of compromise there. It, it was being presented as the fact that, that the Premiership had, had come, you know, struck upon this, this wonderful deal that no other league had managed to, had managed to strike. I, I don't see a huge amount of compromise among the players and some of the player reaction on social media after the announcement of the schedule which was going to require them to play or their teams to play seven times in, in the first 28 days. And if you were to win the Premiership in Europe, it's 14 games in 11 weeks straight into a, an international stretch straight into the next season. So I, I think there are, there are ripe for issues here, particularly with, with injury and, and COVID because we saw 10 positive cases in the first week of testing. It'd be fascinating on Wednesday to hear how many cases test positive in after one week of contact training? Because if that was to rise, then then the league, you know, has got serious issues. I'd also like to un- understand what they're going to look into if if games have to be cancelled for, uh, for for positive tests of COVID nineteen. Because uh, presumably you've got to have a formula set out to maintain the integrity of the competition. And if the game gets cancelled, um, you know how how those points are allocated. Obviously, you know it's not that. It's not that worrying for teams at the bottom of the table because Saracens uh, have, have already been relegated, but it certainly uh, is, uh, is a concern for those at the top. Just to reiterate to our listeners who, who maybe don't know some of the headlines, the, uh, the season will restart Harlequins v Sale on Friday the 14th of August. Uh, the Premiership final is provisionally scheduled for the 24th of October. There's three rounds of midweek matches to fit in. All nine remaining fixtures, plus, of course, European quarters, semis and finals. And Premiership Rugby have told there will be no sanctions for fielding weakened sides. They they did say that that this is the last throw of the dice. There's nowhere else for them to go. If any games are off, they cannot be put anywhere else. So then you're going to have to say, right, when we cannot anymore fulfil the whole programme, we're then going to have to say... Top four then play semis, I think. I think that's all they can do. Yes. That's all they can do. And again, the integrity is out the window. But again, what if what if one of the teams that's in the semis has, has got 10 positive players? How yes. far do you go to have this last final? So it really is still a can of worms, honestly. It is. But I hope it goes well. We love our clubs. I mean, I, I love to see Moss and, and people coming out to play. But at the moment, it is still only halfway back to normality, if that. Alex, what sense do you get from, from the rugby fans out there about how, what, how they feel about this coming back? I mean, and let's bear in mind, we're all rugby fans on this pod as well. But have you, have you got any sense of what the actual fans feel about the, uh, the, you know, their clubs, their fixtures? The fact that, I mean, obviously they're gutted that they can't get into the stadiums yet to, to, to watch them. But um, I'd be interested to know a poll of, of what fans really feel about the game. Would they have been pleased to cancel the season and just look forward to next season? Or any ideas? Well, I, I certainly think they'll be delighted to have rugby back, just as as we all will. We've all sat for a long time. We watching watched the Test match this week from Southampton. I think it was it was a riveting contest. It was live sport. It was played at you know with great intensity. I think we all look forward to having rugby back. I just it's the circumstances and the structure with with, with which it's coming back that's being debated. You would obviously have had supporters from clubs flying high, particularly Exeter, because they're on 
you know they're in such a strong position. South Sharks, Bristol, they will not want their this season to to be over. You can imagine you know, Bristol Bears are going to are going to come back with Carl Sinclair and Semi Radraja in their team, boosting their title bid. South Sharks looks like they'll have Manu alongside Van Rensburg in a 35 stone midfield. They've got Sam Hill joining them too. The South Sharks fans will be desperate for this season to continue. So you, you won't get you know a unified decision across across the league. In some ways, Leicester Tigers and their supporters are looking at the, the last nine rounds of this season as a, an extended prep for next season. They're going to you know, bed in some, some young players, some new players. So there are different approaches going to be taken all, all across the league. I just think we all agree that it's, you know, we're looking forward to, to having some live rugby to watch. It's more just the, the circumstances and the structures which have been put in place uh, or are still being put in place that, that, that are debatable. From an ex-player's perspective, I actually quite enjoyed a lot of fixtures in a short space of time. And by that, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a workload on the body. But if you manage the players correctly in terms of how much they train in between those games, basically, you're going from light training to a match to recovery to light training again. And I do have confidence that the directors of rugby across all those clubs that we've talked about will manage their players in the right way. Probably because maybe the stakes aren't quite as high as they were in previous seasons. We know that Saracens have been relegated. We pretty much know that two of the top four teams. I do feel that um, the, that workload that's been put on the players will, will be manageable. Should we move on then? I mean, we're obviously excited about rugby being back, but there's been a lot of talk and you guys have been writing about it. Salary cap and player reductions in salaries, contracts, who's staying, who's going. Most of the premiership clubs have tried to... Um, conduct their business behind closed doors. But uh, Leicester Tigers seem to have attracted a lot of attention by having some sort of D-date for, for when players would, would sign those contracts. And uh, Manu Tuolangi, obviously the most high profile. Vianu, the fullback, I think, has gone to Stade Francais. One or two others. Players are perfectly entitled to, to be loyal and decide to take a pay cut and stay, as Ben Youngs has eloquently put it. They're perfectly entitled to say, you know, thanks very much for the last 13 years and, and push on as well. I, th- I think the, the main, if we want to point the finger anywhere, it has to be at the Daily Telegraph. Um, because it's quite clear that the Times is the first newspaper to break the idea that Manu might be going to sail. And in that, the number of times I've read it, Daily Telegraph breaking the exclusive that he might be going to sail is um, quite preposterous. So, uh, so um, we just have to correct that one. And Manu to sail, I think, is really interesting. And, and that is a subject that I think fans are really interested in. Because the, the idea that should he or should he not be loyal to the club that, that showed incredible loyalty over the years to him, I think is a fascinating subject. We know that players have a short earning career. Uh, we also know that loyalty is not something that club necessarily shows to a player the other way around. What do you guys think? I mean, I can't think of a club that has paid such high wages to a player over so many years and got so few games out of him. I think Manu is sort of the ultimate in that situation. Should he have remained loyal or not? Makes me uneasy, Lawrence. First of all, I think that a great inspirational figure that Manu is, I'm sure that some of the other people who also were left in the same situation and turned down the New Deal must have been led by Manu. I also think that he does owe less to something because if you look at his number of games here, it's less than 13 in his whole career. Less than 13. I know he was banned for a bit for an incident with a policewoman, etc. It's not all his fault. But I think that he only started playing like he can do in the World Cup. I think that you could say this is an old-fashioned view. But when Ben Youngs and Tom Youngs uh, came to the fore to say, look, this is our club, nothing to do with, oh, we've had a paid uh, dispute or anything like that. They stayed there with the team 
and Manu exited, and I think there's something that makes me uneasy about that. I was very much a one-club man, as you all know, and, and actually you know, took a pay cut to stay at the club because I, that, I, I didn't, it's not just about money. It's about a number of other things, playing for England. It's about feeling like you can win trophies. It's about where your family are happy, et cetera, et cetera. But Warren Gatland did used to sit down with certain players and say to them, you know, how much do you think we should pay you? And the player would you know, say, say a number. And then Warren Gatlin would divide that by the number of games that they've actually played that season or the season before or the season before. When it does come down to it and you look at value for money, I couldn't agree more. If you've got a player who's only playing less than 10 games for you every season and then you're getting him fit to play for England, you know, the contribution from England of his salary is, is, is whatever they pay per EPS player. It, the, the maths just don't stack up. Actually, even though we sort of question manager decision-making here, is this actually a good result for Leicester? I mean, they're saving themselves whatever it is, 400 grand a year, and he's not playing many games. If, you, if, you, if you're going to pay that sort of money for a player, you want him to be the sort of player who is going to turn out on the big occasion like a premiership final and turn a final for you. But Leicester aren't, aren't a club at the moment are going to, going to be in a final. If you're Bristol or, or, or Sale, you know, it, it makes sense. You, you want, a, want a great big match winner who's not going to play 15 games a season, but he might come good for three or four when it really, really matters. And I don't think that Leicester need a player like that at the moment. They need a stronger squad throughout. They've looked at it on balance. I mean, I think that, you know, George Ford was the first name that they wanted to get back on the team sheet, wasn't it? And it made it very clear from the players that they've, that they've re-signed and the ones that they haven't where their priorities lie. And when you're 11th in the table, you know, you need players who are, who are available for selection week in, week out. Jonesy, Steve Diamond, who's a, who's a canny man and a canny negotiator, sort of uh, said that they had no interest a few weeks ago. And now... Um, the club have admitted that they were holding talks. What's the latest on all of that? The sailor in no way matching the level of salary he was at Leicester. And that is possibly because a man who can, hopes to make it up with legal action against his former club. I do know Steve Diamond and the, and the way he operates. I mean, you couldn't get him to call you on Saturday for all the tea in China. But they're going about things aggressively. I mean, they've got Sam Hell, who's an aggressive centre. They've got the two biggest centres in the probably world rugby. They've got Luke James and Sam James, who are classy players. So they really are loading up, Lawrence. I actually think when they do get going, I think it's going to be an absolutely fantastic end of season, providing no one gets injured. And I'm actually, in that sense, I'm looking forward to it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now that rugby is back, I don't know about you, Alex, but I'm going to be as confused as anyone else about who's playing for which club because obviously uh, you've got Rodrigo who's just arrived at Bristol. Carl Sinclair is now a Bristol player, no longer a Quinns player. He's moved mid-season. Max Malins and Ben Earl potentially on loan at Bristol. Can they feature against Saracens in one of the early opening games of Operation Restart? Now, how do you feel about this kind of mid-season movement of players? And, you know, we talked about the integrity of the league. That's <laughs> just... I mean, is it just a one-off for this season and we just got to put up with it? It is on this scale. 
yeah, and we we did see Chris Ashton leaving Sale just before lockdown and moving to Harlequins. You get the odd move mid-season, but on this scale, it's it's just one of the, the knock-on effects of COVID and the circumstances that we're in. On the point of, of Manu to, to Sale, it, completely different set of circumstances, but Kyle Sinclair going to Bristol is actually very similar from the Harlequins' perspective. He was a player who, through the course of his previous contract, had broken into the England team and the Lions team and could therefore command a huge salary on the open market. And Harlequins just made the call that that money would be better spent elsewhere in the squad, strengthening other areas. And so they didn't make a play to keep him. Leicester have made effectively the same decision with, with Manu. I think they were prepared to offer him a, an extended deal on a, on a cut price amount. He wasn't interested in that. And so they've cut their losses. And, and as disappointing as it is for Dynasty, you know, Tulangi Dynasty to be ending in the way it, it did, it's not unique to Leicester at the moment and as I say, Sam Hill decides to move on from, from Exeter to, to Sale Kyle to, to, to Bristol I, I think you know, these moves normally happen in, in the summer and they will continue to happen in the summer and probably with more frequency than, than we've seen in the past because loyalty gets eroded business heads take over and players need to try and find a career somewhere but I don't see it happening mid-season like this to this extent in the going forward I mean, obviously, we've, we've talked about Leicester and, and their high-profile ins and outs. Wasps did quite a, a lot of business behind closed doors, re-signing a whole raft of, uh, of players and, and one or two coming in. Obviously, there's been a lot of movement at Gloucester, particularly on the coaching front. Exeter have announced 30 new deals for players. London Irish Worcester have yet to confirm any of their business. Who, in your view comes out of this lockdown in good shape to challenge at the top or, or, or just to even challenge given um, you know where they are mentally physically financially from an easy angle Exeter look to have kept reasonably quiet during lockdown Rob Baxter just wants to get on with things and they seem to be pretty content pretty happy squad signing lots of players linked to, to players who are suddenly becoming available and, and look to be able to hit the ground exactly where they where they started. Would anyone else share that view? Or, or where will Saracens be, for instance, when they restart? My club of notes on this conversation is uh, Northampton Saints. As you say, Exeter a stable. Bristol and um, Sale are the sort of the big ones who've been spending lots of money who are different. But, but that continuity that Exeter have, I think Northampton have as well. And I think that they started slipping up in midwinter and they, they, they recognise that that's maybe their weakness as a midwinter team. And these summer games, faster pitches, faster athletes might suit them more. So I think Saints are a good team to watch. Alex, would you concur with that? I mean, Exeter, Sale, kind of pushing for those top two places. And then any one of, I don't know, Northampton, Wasps, Bristol. I mean, there's quite a few below that will be challenging for that top four, I guess. Yeah, I think you're right on on Exeter. But Rob Baxter's recruitment is known to be smart and he doesn't bring in loads of players at once. He just evolves his squad. And if you look at that, the, the team that they have and, and Johnny Gray gets added to it, there's a, a second row forward, you know, international lock forward who will make them 40 tackles a game. And that's a really valuable addition to, to an already premium squad at Sandy Park. I think Slotty's right on, on Saints. What's interesting for me is just how all those new recruits blend in quickly at, at Bristol. Everything suggests that that the culture there will allow them to to fit in quickly and successfully. And in Ben Earl and Max Malins, they've brought in on a one-year loan, as Jonesy says, two of the most exciting young English players. We've talked about Sinclair and Radradra. They're already yeah, they're top three at the moment, and have recruited 
incredibly well. If they can hit the ground running, then they'll be a real force of nature. They've got ball carriers up front. They've got razzle-dazzle in the backs. Real, a really exciting prospect there. I guess that's what I'd be most interested to see was how quickly they all blend in uh, you know, to reinforce that title challenge at, um, at Ashton Gate. Yeah, I haven't missed one for ages. Now that Saracens are definitely relegated, if you're a director of rugby or you're a player, what can we expect to see in the first couple of weeks of restart? Because if it, basically the clubs have got a shot to nothing here, haven't they, really? There's no relegation for, uh, because Saracens are down. So effectively, we could see teams playing in a kind of way that maybe Bristol started the season where, you know, we've seen that the resumption of rugby in New Zealand, which uh, has been high skill level, high paced, once they got to grips with the new laws. And, and pretty good standard. And I, I'm hoping, beyond all hope, that this new fixture list and the notion that they've got to play so many games quickly, but with no real relegation, that we'll, we'll, we'll start to see some really open, free-flowing rugby. Do you, do, do you think that's a, that will be the case? I think it'll be tasty. And uh, I have to say this, you know, we've been, we've been saying doom and gloom for the clubs. To be fair, Lawrence, you've just announced, uh, or you just said, 30 people by Alexa, they signed there, they signed there. The clubs are unbelievably resilient, aren't they? There's a resilience at the pace of it, because no one's actually fallen off the pile. But yeah, I think, I'm really looking forward to it. I would love it if fans were there. And as you say, I think it's going to be very tasty when they get going. Let's just hope they all keep safe. Well, listen, we'll, we'll move on now because we all know that uh, Harlequins play um, against Sale in that first game, August the 14th, Friday night. And there's some wonderfully tasty fixtures in the opening weekend as well. London Irish, thankfully, their tenancy at Reading's Medeshki Stadium has come to an end. I cannot tell you. I mean, even though I had some very happy memories there, you know, playing in front of empty stadiums is, is not much fun. Although the players will have to get used to it, obviously, for the, uh, for the foreseeable future. But their new home at Brentford, which I drive past quite regularly, is not, not yet ready. Looks fantastic. Looks like it's going to be set to go. So they look like they're ground sharing either with Harlequins or, or even Saracens as a possibility. Or even going to, to Griffin Park, which I'm sure the way Brentford are going in the football, I'm not sure that's going to be a viable option for them. They won't want... <coughs> Those big rugby players treading all over their pitch. Any anyone got any updates or any news on that? There's a lot happening at London Irish. So as you mentioned earlier, Lawrence, the I guess the headlines have all been around the contract negotiations at Leicester, mainly because we're dealing with some of the highest profile players in, in the country. When the the week leading into that deadline at Leicester, there was Manu who hadn't signed, Ellis Gench hadn't signed, George Ford hadn't signed. So it's it's understandable that, that that's where all the headlines and all the all the attention was. By all accounts, London Irish are going through a very difficult time securing their squad. They're now at loggerheads with Gloucester, having lost George Skivington, and they don't have a ground to play in. I would imagine a return to the Stoot where they played before moving out to Reading or, or going to Allianz Park would be the most obvious solutions. I think setting up Griffin Park to, to play to host rugby again would, would be um, more problematic, I, I would have thought, and they could play on them. Um, Two good surfaces, one grass, one one not grass, at a dedicated Premiership ground. So I think those are the two most likely. Talk about London Irish for a second, because actually, when before lockdown, you know, you just pointed this out, Alex. Before lockdown was happening, they were a squad that were really making great strides. You know, their first season back in the Prem pulled off some fantastic results, beating you know Owen's uh, Saints up at uh, Franklin's Gardens and uh, and putting off one or two other big surprises mm-hmm. as well. Their coaches were going in the right direction. All of a sudden. You know, this coronavirus, they've, they've got issues around their squad. They've lost their coach. Uh, they've got no ground. And I mean, that is, that's a big turnaround, a big change. So they've got, they've got a lot to do. Could they, be, could they come out of this along with the likes of Worcester, where there's been plenty of rumours there, 
perhaps uh, one of the big losers of, uh, of this whole kind of pause in the season. Lawrence, I feel sorry for them because as we're talking now, if the seasons had ended normally, they would then be going full tilt into their new existence in, at their new ground, which is, which is great. And they had loads of plans for it, all on target. Now, they've got to you know, expend energy finishing this, this, this new season, the old season. When it comes to the new season, there's only going to be a short lead-in time. I think they were well, well embarked, and I feel very sorry for them, as you say, that coronavirus has, has, has interfered with those plans. A couple of other bits of news, which may have escaped some of our listeners' attention. The European Cup Finals, the Rugby's Champions Cup Finals, have now moved. So they will still be in Marseille. Of course, it was supposed to be this year in Marseille. That will now take place in 2021, which I guess means EPCR are looking for a venue to play this year's final. I'm assuming that will be somewhere in the British Isles, maybe if, uh, well, they'll, or maybe they'll wait and see and see who qualifies for the final. I think that's most likely, isn't it, Lawrence? That they can, without huge ticket numbers, uh, tickets to sell, they can react late and host a host a game at the most convenient stadium for for those perhaps perhaps make the decision after the semi-finals and and work out a couple of options. They, they've been good at reacting early and not filling stadiums. So perhaps if they react late and don't fill them this time, that'll be a result, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> am I being unkind? I'm not sure I am. I t- talking about filling stadiums, the, the, I, mean, I mean, Bill Sweeney's had a busy couple of weeks, hasn't he? He has been, sadly, having to make a lot of redundancies at the RFU, which I guess is inevitable. Obviously, he's had to deal with COVID and, and it's been pretty tough for the RFU. But I think he announced something like 140 redundancies and we must stop and dwell on that because that's, that's a huge number of people to have to let go and now he's pushing for crowds to be allowed into Twickenham Stadium for the Barbarians match which I guess will be the first of the Autumn Internationals that will be the day after the Prem final so it's going to be on the 25th of October hopefully people will be allowed into the stadium so we may yet see on that basis maybe even for next season some some crowds coming back to the Premiership as well where Where do the Ruckers stand on, one, the RFU and and the problems that they've had to deal with, and two, you know, this kind of um, campaign to get crowds back into the stadiums? It's the 139 redundancies they're making. Anything like that in any business is a very worrying time. But for the the sport in England and the future of the sport in England, you just pray that they don't take too many people out of the community game. They made 60-plus people redundant a couple of years ago, and the community game was really badly hit there. They've somehow got to find a way to keep that as healthy as, as possible, to protect those grassroots. I think I think that's got to be the priority now. I would love it if other people took uh, more long-reaching pay cuts, etc., to protect the community game. Here, here to that, by the way. I mean, the, what it's made it patently clear, though, is that even the, uh, the mighty RFU rely on these gargantuan internationals to, to, fund, to fund them and the game. And suddenly, you know, you take away the prospect of, of four or five internationals in the autumn, potentially um, you know with full crowds and full stadiums and potentially another three or four in the uh, in the six nations and suddenly you've got a business that is goes from being quite profitable and healthy and and in good shape to suddenly losing over 100 million pounds in a, in a calendar year and i guess that is more concerning for the governing body that kind of runs the game in this country and that's probably what's keeping bill sweeney up at night at the moment if they can get crowds into twickenham then the projected lost revenue, which is £107 million at the moment, will, will come down. That's why Bill Sweeney's so keen to try and get, get some, some feet through the, through the turnstiles. The RFU's position two years ago was sort of self-created, that they'd committed themselves to some very expensive contracts at a time when 
their broadcasting and commercial revenues were flattening. Those were the England player pay deal and the first four years of the contract with the Premiership clubs. And it got to a point where the RFU spending was 65% at the elite level and 35% at the community level. Bill Sweeney, when he arrived, spoke to a lot of people in the community game and was very aware of the need to reconnect the, the wider game with with Twickenham. I think he listened to a lot of people and I spoke to, after they, they made that announcement about the redundancies, I, I spoke to a few people around the community game who, who still believe that Bill Sweeney has that intention. The challenge is that, that the demands of, of a winning England team and access to England players means that these costs at the, at the elite end are, uh, are really draining on, on the RFU. But, but Slotty's right. The balance, which used to be 50-50, then they settled on 60-40, has crept up the nearer 70-30. Yeah. And there are, real, there are real fears out in the community game that they bore the brunt two years ago and that the same will happen again because it's, it's sort of easier to, to cut investment and funding. And we've already seen the, the county championship for next season has, has been cancelled. The um, sort of aspirant player pathway for sort of non-academy players that's that's been cancelled for for next year already. So there are some worried people out in the community game at the moment who who would just like to see steps taken to rebalance that um, that investment between between their game and, and the elite game. Given everything you've just said there, then and and the professional end of the game having to, to make some serious cuts, the, the England players through no fault of their own. Uh, I must add, are paid disproportionately more than any other international player per game, £25,000 per game. When they take to the field against the Barbarians or against Italy, where do you think that number will be? Because presumably um, the, cu- the cuts that we've seen across the Premiership rugby, which have cost Manitou, Alangi and Leicester, you know, their, their, mm. their, their love affair and their relationship, presumably they're going to start biting into the international game as well. Yeah, so the, the, the second four years of that eight-year RSU club deal is based on RFU revenues and the Leicester Tigers chief exec said last week that she thought that the club's central funding would drop by 60%. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if the England pay deal fell by a similar amount. It may be less because in that circle that the RFU, as we said, are so reliant on England and home test matches that the players have a very strong argument that without them, that circle doesn't doesn't work. Um, I think the RFU, just on a slight tangent, will also could all could well also benefit if crowds are allowed in from hosting other games. There's talk of Wales using Twickenham for their home matches because the social distancing may well be different in England to Wales. That'll be extra, a bit of extra money that the RFU hadn't budgeted to, to come in in these circumstances. But I, I, I can see the England pay deal dropping substantially for one year. I don't believe I don't believe they're going to strike a four-year deal now. I think it's going to be a, an interim one-year arrangement. The previous deal. That twenty-five grand a game that we always talk about expired in the summer. Gents, I know that. Um, I mean, obviously, um, you know, you guys have been working tirelessly as we all have across this lockdown. But as we as we move ever closer towards the uh, resumption of the Premiership season, um, I mean, presumably we'll be all be getting our boots out and getting very excited. But but what will? I mean, I, I know I've said this on many many occasions, but. When we started in the World Cup, we, we probably, if we had a crystal ball, we could have never imagined the way that this rugby season has panned out. And I'm not just talking about Corona, but right from the very start of the uh, the Rugby World Cup, it, it kept throwing up just completely different stories, different directions, tangents. Over the next four weeks, I'm sure as, as the directors of rugby are building towards that, that, that first kickoff on the 14th of August, where do you think you're going to be concentrating your efforts uh, 
Jodie, I'll start with you. One thing, the outstanding thing is, no, no, Lawrence, of course, we still haven't got the global season. And just returning back to uh, the chief executive of Premier Rugby, he said last week, um, when he was asked about it, he said, well, it's very early in the process. And he said, we're just starting the process. Well, we've had the process for about 16 years. So why he thinks it's suddenly pretty, uh, early, it, so, so that's still got to be done. But I think two things, Lawrence. First, you'll be, we'll be keeping our eyes on the casualty list for the virus because a small uh, increase in that could put everything seriously back in the melting pot. But B, we are rugby lovers. Our friends are, are in the game. Our, our kids are, are, are love the game. People in our street love the game. And it's, we've missed it cruelly. And providing it's safe and we all come back, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to get into Rodraja, Bristol, Exeter, we're under pressure, Manu at sale. There's some, going to be some great stories. Alex, well, what about you? I mean, you know, you're, you're a man who, uh, who hunts down these stories day by day. Uh, well, he's amazing, isn't he? Absolutely. <laughs> he's going to get one of those stories shortly, I reckon. Is that, is that you, with a spear at the moment and his, and his hunting them down? How you've got time to, to hunt those stories down and keep that beard in the sort of shape it's in, I do not know, really. <laughs> There's been a lot of rugby news, hasn't there, in the last few weeks, last few months. And I think because, because as we've talked about a lot, you know, that, that we, we always have, we've always had warring factions ever since professionalism, but we've always had the game on Saturday to just distract us from it and, and allow us to talk about rugby and, and rugby players and matches and the drama on the field. So I'm looking forward to the drama on the field taking us away a little bit from the all the boardroom uh, wrangles that have been going on I mean, Jonesy's right about the global season that, that's an enormous subject that now needs to be tackled and I think we deserve to to know where the Premiership clubs stand on it but they refuse to, to tell us they say it's they say they're open to, to negotiations but then they also say that they're you know, they stand by the French in in, in opposing uh, moving their season so we as media and, and everyone listening as, as fans I think they deserve to know what direction of travel their club season is, is heading in. And we, we don't know that yet. So that's kind of a newsy issue. But actually, I'm just looking, for, I'm looking forward to, to, to watching some games and, um, and, and reporting on, on the players and, and the action and, and the, the twists and turns on the field, because that's ultimately what we love the game for, not the, not the infighting and the boardroom battles. I mean, I'm assuming um, that we, the media or certain sections of the media will be allowed into the stadiums to watch those games or, or will we have to uh, report from afar like, uh, like they do in some sports? Well, I tell you what, Lawrence, I don't think they'd ever consider a game without us there to record it, would they? It wouldn't, really, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really exist properly without us there. Yeah, no, I, I think that they, they, they certainly will allow us in because they need, some, to, need to market the game properly. The, the next month, Lawrence, you say we've been working tirelessly for a while. So, so my ambitions for the next month are to work less tire, tirelessly. In fact, to, to hardly work at all, I think, is what we need to do. Because, because like athletes, we, we need to taper down before, the, um, before we really set off into the, into the new season. So I think we need to make that clear to, to our, our listeners and our bosses to expect very little out of us for the next month. Wonderful. Player welfare in the media. I like, I exactly. like that. Yeah, okay. yeah. media yeah. player welfare. Generally means more recycling at the uh, slot household then, I suggest. Um, I thought that they could answer everything, but actually they've given me much, much more and you. So my thanks to Owen Slot, Stephen Jones and Alex Lowe. If you've enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review, preferably five stars like Jonesy used to give Jeremy Gusker every time he played. And you can subscribe to The Ruck on Acast, iTunes and your usual podcast provider. Hold up. 